How are we doing, church? Thank you so much for taking time to connect with us today. Good morning, Crescent Campus. It's great to be with all of you. Hello, everybody watching at St. Greg's, everybody watching at home. If you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline, or use the Central Church app. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where you can turn to. Uh, that's where we're going to start today. This is week number three of our series called Signs of the Times. Next week is our last week in the series, and then we've got a few weeks to prepare uh, for Easter, um, but which is crazy to think about. Um, but in this series, we've been looking at what the Bible says about end times. Uh, let me set today up like this. I am leaving uh, for Arizona to watch my daughter play softball down there um, next week. And um, I started thinking about preparing for our trip, um, getting stuff ready, what I'm going to take. Um, am I going to play golf when I'm down there? Am I not going to play golf? My son's not coming except for just a couple days. Typically, we play golf. And so it's this whole idea of like, what are we going to take? What, what's going to happen? Now, basically, there's two types of people when you're getting ready for a trip. The first type, doesn't matter where you're going, doesn't matter for how long you're going, you can pack and be ready in like 30, 45 minutes max. You're just like ready to go. How many people are like that? Like that that's me typically, ready to go. It's mostly mostly men. The other type of people packing is an experience. I remember talking to a friend one time and I'm like, hey, what are you doing this week? And she said, I'm packing for my honeymoon. And I'm like, you're getting married in three weeks. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm I'm packing, <laughs> like, dear Lord. Um, not only do you do you pack, do you prepare, you buy outfits for the trip, right? It's it's like, I'm not going to wear this until the trip. Anybody like that in the room? Anybody like that watching? All right, listen, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's a little bit different than, than most people. Now, some people, when you pack, you're like me. You're a minimalist, right? You can just, like, you're going for seven days. You pack two pairs of underwear, one pair of socks. You just make it work, right? Like, that's that's it. Like, you're doing as little um, with, or you're doing as much as you can with as little as you can. Then other people, you might as well just ship your whole dang closet. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just take everything. You're going somewhere for three days, and you take, like, 29 outfits because I know you have to dress how you feel. Am I right? So I was thinking about that and preparing for trips when I was getting ready for this message. Because listen, there's so much that you could talk about in an end times series. Like I wanted this to only be four weeks. I wanted to keep it short, um, but we easily could have made this 10, 12, 15 weeks. Several weeks ago, um, when I was preparing for this particular message, um, I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to teach about because I thought this would be awesome. Because in the end times, there's so many cool things. Like in the end times, there's going to be this river that comes out of Jerusalem that's going to go straight into the Dead Sea. Now, in order to get to the Dead Sea, this is why it's cool. In order to get to the Dead Sea, it's going to hit and destroy this mountain called the Mount of Corruption. Um, And this is the mountain where Solomon built all of these pagan idols. Solomon had gone crazy, and he built all of these idols. Um, This dude had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And and it wasn't that he had 700 wives that made him go crazy. It was his 700 mother-in-laws. That's why most scholars believe he went crazy. Uh, Anyway, so he built all these altars, and the river 
is going to destroy this mountain. Then when it hits the Dead Sea, and this is really cool. Listen, nothing can live in the Dead Sea. Like right now, there's nothing living in the Dead Sea. Nothing, no fish, anything. But when that water hits the Dead Sea, the Bible said things, says things are going to be alive again in the Dead Sea. So the Bible tells us there's going to be fish, and there are going to be fruit trees growing all around it. It's going to be incredible. There's so much symbolism. And so I was getting excited to preach that to you, and God was like, hey, uh-uh. We're not going to talk about that. And I was like, okay. So then I started thinking about the book of Daniel. Because in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel is loaded with some end time stuff. Some of you know this. Some of you have sent me emails asking if I was going to talk about this or talk about Ezekiel and the wheel and all that. But Daniel, when you start doing like a comparison with the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, you look at some of the parallels that are there, and then you think that Daniel and John lived hundreds and hundreds of years apart, but they're writing some of the same things, you're getting excited. And so I'm like, I'm going to make some comparisons and we're going to, we're going to talk about that. And God was like, yeah, um, that's really cool, Ryan, but you're not going to talk about that. And so I threw down my pen and I was like, fine, you come up with a message. And he's like, thank you. They always come across better when I preach them anyway. Uh, that's what I felt like he told me. Um, so today, so today I'm going to go kind of in a, a little bit different direction. We're going to look at the end times, um, and we're going to look at something that happens at the end times. Again, because there's so much we can cover, but I really want to just ask you a question. We're basically going to cover one question today, and that's it, and it's this. Are you packed and ready for the trip? Are you packed and ready for eternity? Because you're going Everybody in this room, everybody watching online, everybody in Creston, everybody's going to step into eternity. It's an appointment that you don't know when it's going to be, but I guarantee you none of us will be late. So when you step into eternity, are you ready? Are you packed? Are you prepared? Now, I'll be completely honest with you. For years and years, I thought, and um, this is probably because I saw way too many bad cartoons as a kid. But I thought we were all going to be standing in like a big line when we get to heaven. Anybody else ever had that thought? Like this long line and God's on the throne and Jesus is over up to the side. and He's got a pen and a, a paper. He's, he's looking through the guest list. and He's like, all right, you go to heaven. Nope, you go to hell. You go to heaven. You go to hell. Like how many of you ever thought that? Or how, how many of you have done this? How many of you have been like so unsure of what? eternity is going to be like, um, and you have this understanding that Jesus did say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you like pray the salvation prayer like 687 times a week or whatever, because you're like, I don't, I don't want to be the guy that, that's just like, oh, I just barely made it. Anybody like that? I mean, you get there, like, and, and, and there's these thoughts. Like a few weeks ago, um, I got stopped on a Friday night, I was coming back from a softball game, um, and it was foggy. I was driving on 20, and I got pulled over for erratic driving. Um, it was crazy. Like, the the cop came up to, to my window. He's like, you know, I pulled you over. Now, typically, normally, you've heard me talk about this before. I do. because I'm like, yeah, man, I was, like, obliterating the speed limit. Like, I, I get it. Um, but I didn't really know. And he's like, I, I got you for erratic driving. He said, I, I clocked you. At 55, I clocked you at 60, I clocked you at 48, I clocked you at 73, I clocked you back at 45, and then I lit you up when you hit 80. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, like it's super foggy, and I'm really tired. It was after midnight. I'm like, it's, I'm really tired. And he said, have you been drinking? I'm like, no. 
and he made me like look in the light and all of this stuff. And eventually we got to the point where he's like, hey, um, I need you to I need you to blow into the breathalyzer. He made me do that three times, three times. Now, here's the thing. Like every time I knew I was going to pass it, like I knew, hey, I haven't been drinking. But but when we did the second time, it was like, uh, and the third time I was scared to death. And so I started thinking, like, that's what, that's what judgment day is going to be like. Like, everybody's in this long line, and, and you know, like, you should get in, but as you get closer and closer and closer, you start to doubt. But according to, according to Scripture, I think at the end times, I think, um, there are going to be two judgments. I'm going to argue there are two at the end times. Um, now, you're only going to be at one of them. Um, you're only going to be at one judgment, one of the two. You don't get to go to both. Um, the first judgment we'll talk about, is the judgment seat of Christ. Um, this is a judgment, put that in quotes, um, for believers. Now, in full transparency, when I first became a Christian, there was a period of about a week, two weeks, maybe, maybe the first month, that I wasn't sure that I wanted to go to heaven because I heard a really bad preacher. I um, had gone to this event, Brand new Christian, went with some of my friends. I was so impressionable. I had no idea anything about Christianity. And this guy gets up. He says, let me tell you what heaven is going to be like. It was one of those guilt-driven invitations where they're trying to get everybody to come forward. He said, heaven's going to be like walking into a giant movie theater. And everybody's going to have their lives shown on the screen. Everything that you have ever done is going to play for everybody to watch. And I thought, hell ain't so bad. <laughs> nah, like hell don't sound too bad. Frying like bacon for eternity, I'm in. Like put me on the hell express. Because I'm going to be honest with you. There's some stuff about my life that I don't want you to see. Hey, hey, let me get more real. There's some stuff that I've done I don't want to relive. Then I found out that that dude was as full of it as a porta potty at a construction site. Um, so I felt better. You, you might get that later. Um, but there's going to be a judgment um, for believers, people who are followers of Jesus. And we see this appear in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I love reading about the church in Corinth because the Corinthian church was a messed up church. Messed up. And that makes me feel really, really, really good about our church because our church messed up. We are very messed up. Now, let me be very clear. Every church is messed up. It is. Here, here you're just free to admit it, all right? You're just so free. You don't have to pretend here at this church. But let me show you what Paul, what he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Before I get there, though, let me, let me read this, because this is going to be a reminder as we dive into this for believers. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, I love this. He says, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And so, in other words, what that says is for those of us who follow Jesus, there is no what? There's no condemnation. This is what Paul says. No condemnation for those of us who belong to Jesus Christ. So very clear, very, very, very clearly for all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, none of us, if you're a believer, None of us are going to be judged for our sins. None of us are going to be judged for our sins in heaven because our sins are paid for by Jesus Christ. Sin and shame and guilt and doubt and all of that, like those are illegal substances in heaven. You can't carry them in. And so Paul, he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, because of God's grace to me. Now let me stop right there. 
the way Paul starts this out is, is meaningful to me. Because when I read that, I understand that everything that's good in my life, it's because of God's grace to me. Every good thought I've ever had, every time I've gotten it right, it's God's grace. Everything, like everything good in my life is God's grace. So because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, you need to be careful about the way you live your life. Like all of us need to be careful about that. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, if anything is built on anything other than Jesus, it's not going to last. He goes on to say, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Now, there's two categories that Paul lays out for us right here. Gold, silver, jewels, that's one. Wood, hay, or straw. That's two categories. Gold, silver, and jewels, wood, hay, and straw. Now, if you've got a choice and you're building with something, you're building a house or whatever, all of us are going to choose the first category. All of us are going to choose the gold, silver, and jewels. None of us are going to say, well, I don't know, wood, hay, and straw. That sounds pretty easy to work with. No, 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 no. It's gold, silver, and jewels. Verse 13, but on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. In other words, the quality of our life, how we lived our life for Jesus. Verse 14, if the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. Now, hold up. People have asked me for years, Pastor Ryan, are there rewards in heaven? Well, according to this verse and like pretty much the totality of Scripture, the answer is yes. Yes, there are rewards. I'm just glad I'm going. Like for me, that, that's it. But people have asked me, like, what are the rewards going to be? They're going to be rewards. What are they going to be? What are they going to be like? I don't know. I don't. Some people say you get a bunch of crowns. Some people say we live in big mansions. Some people say we get certain things. Um, some people say there's different levels. I don't know if there's levels or not. I don't think God's into the, like pyramid scheme stuff. Maybe he is. I don't know. But I'm just glad I'm going. But there will be rewards in heaven. Paul goes on to say this in verse 15. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Paul tells the church in Corinth and us today that if we're followers of Jesus, meaning we've surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, that Jesus lives in us. And he tells us there's going to be a judgment for us, and it's the judgment of Jesus Christ. Once, once again, we're not judged for our sins because they're paid for by who? By Jesus. We're judged for the work that we did. Now, what is that work? Um, I can boil it down to about three things based on, once again, the totality of Scripture. I think every believer is going to be judged on three main things. Letter A, time. I believe we're going to be judged on our time. Now, Quick question for y'all. And again, it's okay to be honest here. I'm going to put my hand up. How many of you have ever binged watch a TV series or TV show on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or Apple Plus? That's probably everybody in the room. I was binge watching TV shows before you could stream them. I remember one time somebody gave me a box DV set of a show. I'm not going to tell you what it is because uh, I'm embarrassed that I watched it. 
but you really want to know, don't you? All right, here it is. It was the first two seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. A friend of mine had given me this this series, and this was before Netflix. Um, it was DVD, box set, two seasons. He said, you need to watch this. It's so good. And the first season, I watched it. The first episode I put in, I'm like, oh, man, this is, this is pretty good. And then I watched the next one and the next one and the next one. I started at like 8 o'clock at night, and at 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm like, dude, I need to go to sleep because I got to get up at 6. And, and so I finished it like the next day, finished the entire first season, and then the second season I started watching that, I will never get that time back. Like, ever, ever. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been something you're like, I'm, uh, we have all wasted our time on something. Now, let me tell you something about time. Time is the great equalizer. Everybody in this room, everybody watching right now has the same amount of time in a day. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Doesn't matter your your race, your color, your creed, does, doesn't matter your gender. Time does not discriminate at all whatsoever. Each of us have the same amount of time in a day. And so this is my recommendation about time. And this is just something for us to think about and consider. How much focus time do we give Jesus on a daily basis? Like how much focus time do we give Jesus on a daily basis? Now, if you're not there yet, if you're not doing any of it, let me make a recommendation. And, and anybody in the room, anybody here can do this. First thing in the morning, when you wake up, take your phone and put it face down. <laughs> I discovered this about two years ago. I would wake up, I would grab my phone off the side table, and I would start checking stuff. Email, Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter. I would spend like an hour in bed looking at stuff. Didn't even get my day started. And because of what I'd read or what I would see, I was already like mad at the world or stressed out or freaked out. Then one morning I woke up and I was like, you know what? I own the phone. The phone does not own me. And so start out, this is what I do. I start out every day, get out of bed, leave my phone. I give God the first 10 minutes of every day. Now, listen to me. Don't tell me. Don't, Don't start arguing and saying, well, I can do that in bed. I just lay in bed and commune with God. No, you don't. No, you don't. God does not have your full attention. Get somewhere in the house where you can read some scripture, listen to a worship song, give God the first 10 minutes of your day. Listen to me, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, he will multiply your time. You'll be able to get more done in the day than you could possibly imagine if you put God first. It's, I'm telling you, it's absolutely crazy how it works. Try it. Would you consider putting God first, just giving him the first 10 minutes of the day, just this week. Just try it for a week. I promise. I promise it'll blow your mind. If it doesn't, let me know, and then you can stop, I guess. (laughs) The second one is your talent. Everybody has a talent. Everyone. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I'm probably going to hit on this next week, Um, but everyone has a talent. Like some people, um, some people I know, some of you watching, Um, You're organized. You make lists. You have color-coded calendars. You're detailed. The world needs people like you because people like me forget everything. I meet people all the time, especially when I talk about this, when I say everybody has a gift, everybody has a talent. A lot of people will come up and say, oh, I'm not talented at anything. Shut up, Eeyore. Like, you, you are. We're all talented. God has given each and every one of us a talent, a gift. 
and ability to be used by him. Like working with kids is a talent that I do not have. I tried before. I, I, tr- I told all of you this before. Um, when you start having ideas and thoughts and fantasies about how awesome it would be to punt somebody's kid down the hallway, uh, you don't need to work with kids. <laughs> we all have a talent. Now, with talent comes responsibility. Like me, like my talent, God has given me the, the talent and the ability to preach and lead. Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, I, I would preach and people would show up and people would keep showing up. I don't know why you, you keep showing up, but, but you just do. But we're given this talent to operate in this talent in order to honor God. Like, that, that's why we use our talent. We have this talent so we can honor God with the gift, the ability, the talent he's given us. And so we have a talent. We're going to be judged on how did we use that talent. Number C, um, time, talent, and anybody want to guess? Treasure. Treasure. We're going to be held accountable for how we handle our money. Now, this is where I love it. You're already pushing back. You're like, oh, here we go. Church is just after my money. Listen, if we were after your money, we're going about this the way wrong way. For example, if we were just after your money, we would charge you for premium parking. So some of you would pay it, right? In fact, I would, I would start valeting cars. I would put on a red vest. I would valet your cars. We would charge you, if we were after your money, we would charge you to take care of your kids. Some of you would be saying, I'm staying for two services today. Why, was it good? Nope, don't got to deal with my kids. Here's an extra five bucks. <laughs> we would charge you, <laughs> we would charge you for the goldfish your kids consume today. My God. If we would just charge you for the goldfish, we could have the outreach center fully renovated next month. We would charge for the worship. Is worship good? Worship music good? Yes or no? Yeah. Well, you pay for concerts, right? Don't you? So we'd charge you for that. We, we could charge for all kinds of things. Listen, anytime, this is what you need to know about me. Anytime I bring up money in the church, I want you all to know and understand I am not impressed by money. And I am not after anybody's money. I'm just telling you, The Bible talks more about money than it does heaven and hell combined. In fact, Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell and prayer and joy. There's over 2,500 verses in the scriptures on money and possessions. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And so every time we talk about money, anytime we bring it up, and anytime there's some pushback, and every time you kind of build that wall, I want you to hear me. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. So that's the first judgment. Second judgment is a place nobody wants to be. It's called the great white throne judgment. Let, let, me, let me take you back to my getting pulled over story. I get pulled over. I have to do the breathalyzer and goes back. And I blew zeros all three times, by the way. Just, just so you know, some of you are wondering, like, what happened? Um, zeros all three times, um, goes back to his car, comes back, and he says, I'm going to give you a verbal warning um, for erratic driving. I'm going to give you a written warning for speed, for going 80 and whatever that is out there, 55 or 65, give you a, a, a written warning for speed. And then he handed me a ticket, and his ticket was for me not having corrective lenses. Now listen, I've been driving since I'm 16, I'm almost 50. I don't know how many years that math works out to be. I've been pulled over a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of times. 
I have never even been once asked if I'm wearing contacts or where my glasses are or anything. And so this guy says, I'm giving you a ticket for not having corrective lenses because my license says I need corrective lenses. I tell him, hey, I just had LASIK a week ago today. It was a Friday night, and the Friday before I had LASIK. And this is what he said. I hear that all the time. I'm like, no, seriously. I had LASIK last week. Like, walk out 300 yards, hold up three fingers. I'll tell you how many fingers you're holding up. Like, like I start arguing with him. He's like, doesn't matter. You don't have a paper. You don't have documentation that lets me know that you have that. So you got to go to the courthouse. And he goes through all this thing. And, and I'm like, I'm mad, but I'm freaking out because you know what? It's scary when you're someplace and you need something and you don't have it. And in that, in that moment, you feel completely helpless. That's like that's a scary place to be when you feel hopeless because you don't have what you need. Well, this great white throne judgment, it's going to be the scariest place that any of us could ever possibly be. This is a judgment for the non-believers, for people that don't know Jesus. In Revelation chapter 20, this is what John wrote about it. It started out in verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. I'm gonna stop and remind you, if you're a Christian, you have nothing in the books. You're, you're in the book of life, but you have nothing in the other books. It's, it's clear. Like, they're clean because Jesus, the blood of Jesus, paid for your sins. All right, verse 13 goes on to say, The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This is where I don't want to be. This is why I'm talking about it today, because I don't want anybody to be there. Because for the Christian, like, listen, I want us to make sure that we're handling our time, treasure, and talent in a way that honors Jesus. And for the non-Christian, this is real. This is as real as it gets, thrown into the lake of fire. Well, who's going to be there? Well, I broke it down into three main categories. Letter A is the procrastinator. Now, we all procrastinate stuff, do we not? And listen, I'm not saying if you procrastinate, you're going to hell. I'm just saying we try to put off the spiritual. I heard a guy say one time, he said, if I were Satan, I would tell people in the church that Jesus is real. Like he died on the cross to pay for your sin. He rose from the grave. He lives today. Church is good. The Bible's a great book. But for you, you should just wait. You don't have to do it right now. Just wait. Just sow your wild oats. Live the way you want to live it and just just wait. And eventually, he keeps talking us out of the decision or the step that, that we know that God has put in our heart. We procrastinate. We put it off. Yeah, I know the story of Jesus. I, I, I know I can feel Jesus working in my life, but I don't. I don't need them in my life. I don't need a savior. I can do that one day. Letter B, the fearful. The fearful. This, this is why it, at first I was reluctant to surrender my life to Jesus. I was scared. Like th- this is where, let, let me pause. I, I wasn't scared of what people were going to say because what people say is what people are, are going to say anyway, right? I was afraid that God was going to ruin my plans for my life because I had some amazing plans. Let me tell you about them. Um, I had just been kicked out of college 
and I had started a masonry business. And over a couple of years, it grew and grew and grew, and I was really good at it. I was making a ton of money. And so giving my life to Jesus, surrendering my life to Jesus, God was going to mess with that. And I remember saying, God, if I surrender to your plans, do I have to give up the business? Um, I didn't know I was going to get to work in the church world, and it was going to be so great and awesome and rainbows and puppy dogs and, and fantastic. Um, I didn't know all of that. But, but that's where I was at. I thought I was going to have to give up in order to get God. But listen, he's going to mess up your plans. And the reason he's going to mess up your plans is because his plans are way better. This is the other thing I'll tell you. If you're a Christian, you've heard me say this before. It it makes me mad. I hear pastors say this. If you love Jesus, you won't sin. Well, what about all of the people in the Bible? What about the apostles? What about the apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 where he wrote, man, the the things that I wish I didn't do, I do. There's this whole thing. And, And I'm not saying that you won't sin, you can't sin. This thing I'm telling you. You won't enjoy it as much. You won't. I had a friend um, years and years and years ago. This is one of the first people that I ever talked to about Jesus and um, spent a few weeks, a few months talking about Jesus, eventually got him to the place um, where he received Jesus into his life. Um, This dude smoked a lot of weed. Now, when I say a lot of weed, I never saw him not high. Dude was always happy. He was so high that if he were to just take one more step, he'd have been in heaven. Like, that's how high he always was. When he prayed to receive Jesus, we did the whole prayer thing, and he looked at me, and he's like, hey, can I still smoke weed? And I'm like, listen, man, just going to tell you, it's probably not the best thing to do. Probably not a wise decision for you. Um, I'd probably say you need to put the weed down. He said, all right. He went without smoking weed for like an entire month. He called me one night, and he's like, Ryan, amen, I smoked weed. And I'm like, listen, God still loves you. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Here's the problem. It don't feel as good. I was like, that's the Holy Spirit. (laughs) That's the Holy Spirit working it. You could totally sin, but the Holy Spirit won't let you enjoy it as much. I'm not saying saying you won't enjoy it. I'm just saying the Holy Spirit is going to be there the whole time going, um, right? So the person that says, well, God's going to ruin my plans, or I'm going to put this down, or I'm going to put that down, or I've got to stop this. Listen, here's the good news. God will give you the strength to put down whatever you need to put down so you can pick up whatever you need to pick up. That's the God we serve. The last one is the casual Christian. This is the person most likely born in the United States. (laughs) You think because you went to vacation Bible school with your grandma, because you got confirmed, because you were baptized as a baby, and you know a couple of Bible verses, you know the story of David and Goliath, you know Daniel went through a lion's den, you know about the flood and the ark, you, you know enough about the Bible to be dangerous. Like you prayed the prayer one time, and then you got baptized because your parents made you, but, but there's never been a heart transformation. You have all the information. You know about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. I was thinking a way to illustrate this the other day, and uh, um, <laughs> I was in a tattoo place, and, and I heard a guy um, talk about this guy, and I'm like, hey, that's, that's legit. Like, I like that. So it'd be like this guy. It'd be like this guy right here, Will Smith. Like, I know this guy. I know him. I love this guy. He slaps. You don't get that, do you? 
maybe later. Back when he slapped Chris Rock, people asked me, what do you think about what he did? Well, you know what? He made a bad decision. Doesn't take away from the hours of laughter this guy gave me. Like watching the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, every time, still today, every time I watch an episode, I laugh like crazy. It's hysterical. But I know about Will Smith. I know he was born in Philadelphia in 1968, just like the song says. West Philadelphia, born and raised on the pl- Anyway, I know his favorite football team, Philadelphia Eagles. I know his favorite food, Philly cheesesteak. His favorite colors are red and black. I know he turned down the role, the role of Neo in The Matrix so he could take the role of whatever character he played in Wild Wild West. That was a bad decision, right? But after he did what he did, after he slapped Chris Rock, if I wanted to call him and be pastoral to him, and give him some spiritual advice, I couldn't, I couldn't talk to him. I couldn't call him. I couldn't go to his house. If I would go to his house, they would arrest me. You know why? Because I know all about Will Smith. I don't know Will Smith. And there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. You might ask, what is the will of the Father? It's to believe in his Son, Jesus Christ, and receive him into our lives. That's the will of the Father. Jesus goes on to say in verse 22, On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. In other words, we did it all in your name. We knew about you. We didn't know you. And according to this verse right here, it's highly possible to look incredibly spiritual and not know Jesus. Goes on to say this, verse 23, I never knew you. You knew about me? I know you. I don't know you. I never knew you. Get away from me, you evil doers. Now listen, I'm not trying to make anybody doubt this morning. If you prayed to receive Jesus Christ in your life, there, there will be a point in your life or there was a point in your life where, where you know that you did that. You received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You surrendered your life on him. Like, like if, if you did that, like Jesus Christ lives inside of you. Our salvation doesn't depend on us. It depends on him. And, and while we fall down and make mistakes, he's never fallen down. He's never made a mistake. If we've given our life to him, he, he has our life in his hands, and he will not let us go. But listen to me. Salvation is not, well, I, I know some stuff about Jesus, and so, dear God, I don't want to go to hell. Salvation is what's written in Romans chapter 10. It's when we declare with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead. Then we will be saved. When we say Jesus is Lord, what are we saying? We're saying, Jesus, I give you complete control. Listen to me. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. Probably going to make a lot more. Just, just being honest, probably going to make a, a whole lot more. But on October 24th, 1997, I said, Jesus, you are Lord. And he changed my life. He's never let go. And he's always been faithful. I know where I'm going to step into eternity. I don't know when I'm going to step into eternity, but I know when I get there, man, there are some things I want to see. Like, I want to see streets of gold. I want to see the walls. I want to see the crystal sea. I want to see the mansions. I want to see all that. I I do. I want to see all of it. I want to see my loved ones who went before me, who are followers of Jesus Christ. I want to see my dog, Trinity. 
That's, I want to see her. Because, listen, dogs go to heaven. Cats. Uh, I mean, there are some things I want to see. But there's nothing or no one I want to see more than Jesus. When I get to heaven, when I step into eternity, I want to see Jesus. I want to see the man that saved me and loved me through it all. That's, that's what I want. That's what I want for me. That's why when I think, when I step into heaven, the only word I'm going to be able to say is holy. Jesus, you are holy. You are good. You are so wonderful. You are holy. I'm packed and ready. The end is coming, and you're going to step into it one day. And you're going to step into one of two places. Are you ready? Let's pray.